Welcome to the Raising Christian Kids podcast. Your host, Leanne Mancini, is extremely passionate about helping children to have a strong foundation in Jesus. You will be equipped with methods and techniques to help solidify a relationship between your child and Jesus. So let's dig deep and raise strong Christian kids. Hello and welcome back to Raising Christian Kids. I am so happy to have Jay Warner on the show today. Now, he is a Dateline-featured cold case detective, author, speaker, senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, and adjunct professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology and Southern Evangelical Seminary. Jay Warner became a Christ follower at the age of 35 after investigating the claims of the New Testament Gospels using his skill set as a detective. Thank you, Jim, for being on our show today. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to be with you. I am, you know, a fan of yours as I teach apologetics at South Florida Bible College and Theological Seminary. I am so excited about your new book, Person of Interest. I really think we need to teach parents how to defend the faith in a loving manner, be ready to have that defense for what they believe in, and to teach their children to do the same starting young. And there are so many outstanding nuggets of information in your new book, Person of Interest. For example, you say, I was surprised to discover descriptions of Jesus was not Jesus. Now, I know that statement will pique the interest of our listeners, okay? And hopefully they'll get your book. They want to have all that information. But tell us about this book. How can it help parents? Well, what I'm trying to do there is to to show in that particular statement was really comparing the archetypes, all of the uh, Old Testament patriarchs that if you were to take out and and kind of sketch out their broad narratives of their stories, if it's Moses or Jonah or Joshua, you'll find that they sound a lot like Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is what Paul talks about Jesus being really the the fulfillment of types in the Old Testament, really starting with Adam. And so you'll see that this is something that God is doing in time. And I'm trying to trace a timeline here in this book. Here's the idea for the book. I wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity, where I looked at everything that's in the crime scenes, quote unquote, of the New Testament. Could we trust what the New Testament authors have written about Jesus? This book does just the opposite. It looks at everything that's outside of the New Testament. And the reason why I did that is because so many of our young people, so many of their friends we're going to encounter are so skeptical of anything that claims to be scripture, whether it's ours or anybody else's, that they're not as likely to give it the same weight as they would say, for example, the statements of scientists or the statements of people who are not religious. So what I did with this book is I imagined a scenario, like I've done a bunch of these no-body murders. These are murders in which you have no, uh, you know, the guy gets rid of his wife or she gets rid of her husband and and buries the body in some place and nobody ever finds it. So we have a no-body missing person. And it turns out those are hard to solve. And we don't often work them as murders. They usually start off as missing persons reports. And then years later, when I reopen the case as a cold case detective, It's been three decades and there's no body and no evidence from a crime scene and no photographs of a crime scene. Nothing was even taken as a murder originally. Well, how do you solve that case? You tell jurors that it turns out I can make a case for what happened on that explosive day if it was in fact a murder by simply tracing the fuse that led up to that bomb exploding and then the fallout that follows after the bomb explodes. It's from the fuse and the fallout that I can tell you what happened on the day of the disappearance. We do the same kind of thing with Jesus. If we destroyed every New Testament document so there were no Bibles on the face of the planet, 
you could still reconstruct the story of Jesus from just the fuse and fallout of history. And one of those fuses are the archetypes of the Old Testament that present an image of a Messiah to come who has certain attributes that Jesus then embodies. I love that. You know, Dr. Warren Gage writes a lot about this, and he has just put together, it's called Watermark Gospel. And it's amazing. It's like the Bible Project, but their videos, it's called Watermark Gospel, and it shows Christ in the Old Testament, all the biblical stories. So I like how you put that. I was surprised to discover descriptions of Jesus was not Jesus. That really piques our interest. And, And I love how, yes, even if we had nothing, God is so amazing to make sure that we're without excuse. Well, and this is my, my personal journey as part of this book, because I was a 35-year-old detective when I first encountered the claims of the New Testament. I didn't have a New Testament, didn't have a Bible. We weren't raised as Christians. I was not raised as a Christian. So I really had to go and start from scratch. And I only had the skill set you have, you know, everyone comes to this with their own skill set. But for me, if you could not make a case for this evidentially, I really was not interested. And I think this is probably not far from how most young people feel, because we have exposed young people to the glowing rectangles, right? Our, our social media, our, our internet access on our phones. This usually happens pretty early. I mean, I see people, parents giving their kids phones in their junior high school years. If you're going to do that, you're going to expose them to the kind of skepticism and to a world that says, if the scientists don't say it, it's not reliable. It's not trustworthy. Of course, everything's been politicized. So it's really about how do we make a truth claim? And why would our young people ever accept any objective truth claims when really we're in a world of subjective truth? And so I think this is part of what we're trying to do. I was not raised in in an environment in Los Angeles County in which I had any idea what the impact of Jesus was on history. All of those aspects of culture, kind of the influence of Jesus, have been entirely scrubbed from those aspects of culture. I suspect, unless you're homeschooling, that you probably have had that same experience. As a matter of fact, I suspect if your kids are in a Christian school, lots might be discussed about, but when it comes to the impact of Jesus on art, literature, music, education, and science, and even other world religions, there's still a good chance that your kids don't know how much impact Jesus has had. And that from that impact, you could entirely reconstruct the story of Jesus. That's the most powerful part of this, that you could not eliminate Jesus from history by simply destroying the New Testament. His roots go too deep because this is, and by the way, how would you explain these kinds of, of impact? This book hopefully makes a case for the historicity and deity of Jesus, because I can't imagine a scenario in which something other than a real person who was the Son of God, God incarnate, could have any kind of impact other than this. I've written books on the the evidence for God, the evidence for the Bible, the evidence for the resurrection. This book really takes a broader view. It really tries to show also why Jesus matters, even today, even if you're not a Christian, and why the person of Jesus of Nazareth is so beautiful to begin with. I think it's excellent because this really will help the parents because they're raising kids in a society that doesn't even care about the Bible. It's a a fairy tale. They don't even want to hear anything about the Bible. The Bible is a, a bunch of lies made up by men who wrote this a long time ago, and it's that ideology is prevalent today. So I think it's really great because these parents can educate themselves preparing themselves to answer those questions and to teach their children these things when they're young, right? Because they're never too young to learn something. 
No, as a matter of fact, when we poll young, you know, first and second year college students that were raised in the church, but are no longer attending church, no longer believe Christianity is true. And when we get to the point where we ask them, well, when did you first decide this wasn't true? Because the assumption always is this is what college does to our young people. Actually, that's not true. If you ask them, they will tell you pretty consistently it's between the ages of 10 and 17, 10 and 17. If you're teaching your kids Christian apologetics in their junior or senior year in high school, you're probably four years behind the curve. They've already decided it's not true, and you're just playing catch up at that point. This starts really, we've written a bunch of children's books for this reason, eight to 12. That's what we target our kids' books, eight to 12, because we know that's when young people are probably getting the glowing rectangle. And that's when they're making decisions about what is true in the world and what is not. Yeah. And if you, by the way, that's when you have the most influence. I don't know if you've noticed this raising your own kids, but the time your kids get into junior high, the influence of their peers rivals and then surpasses the influence of their parents in many cases. Yes. So if you want to move when you have the most influence, you need to do that while they're in elementary school. Yes. And that golden rectangle that you're talking about is their phone. That yeah, phone yeah, is just, that becomes everything to middle right. school, teenager. I think we have to make a decision now as a culture, uh, at what point we're going to allow, like you're not going to give your kids a car to drive when they're 10, even if they're big enough to reach the pedals, you're not going to give them a car at 10. You've made a decision that there's a safety issue involved or a judgment issue or discernment issue or a skill set issue that is particular to driving cars. And you just don't think a 10 year old can handle that. Well, I kind of wonder if phones and navigating the social media world is not even more treacherous and dangerous than driving a car these days. And I think in the end, you'll see that young people are less inclined to drive cars and they are driving later because what's the point? I need to get to my friend's house by drive. I can get my friend on the glowing rectangle. But I do think we're at a point where you have to make a decision about whether or not the flip phone is sufficient. Your bicycle is sufficient until I think you are worthy or are able and, and ready to drive a car. I think a lot of this is about making decisions as parents now about what we're willing to limit. Absolutely. Can you also talk about your cold case Christianity and forensic for kids books? I know my parents really want to hear about these books. Yeah. So what we tried to do, I wrote a trilogy of apologetics books before I wrote this book. What we tried to do in our kids books is to write a kid's version of our adult books a book we did on the reliability of scripture, a book we did on God's existence, and a book we did really on evangelism and why it's important for us to have a forensic faith. So those three books ended up being our adult books, and chapter by chapter, we created kids' versions. And unlike other kids' apologetics books, these books are a part of an academy experience. So we are challenging kids to solve three mysteries related to a shoebox, related to a corgi, related to a skateboard. And then as they solve these mysteries as cadet detectives, they learn how to be detectives. They have a master teacher named Detective Jeffries who teaches them how to be detectives. And then they turn the corner and they apply the same skill set to the case for Jesus or the case for God. These are the things we're teaching in these books. And at the end of these, they can earn a certificate. And what we noticed is that like we were homeschoolers and they were always looking for inexpensive ways to you know, develop that Bible curriculum, right? Well, we've got an entire academy course with all of the fill-ins, all of the printables, all of the videos uh, at casemakersacademy.com. What's lacking in each one of those courses is simply the book. But my whole point here is that we have to find creative ways. By telling the story, the fictional mystery that you have to solve, we've kind of baited in young people who may not be interested in a book that feels like it's just preachy, like yes. it's just teaching these principles. 
I want you to be so interested that you're willing to discover them for yourself. Because if I can do that, well, then you're, you're in because you are the one who discovered those for yourself. And that's what we're trying to do with these books. As a matter of fact, I learned so much from writing the kids' versions of these books that when we wrote Person of Interest, it's really a, a kid's book for adults. Again, it's a long mystery from a real case that I unwrap chapter by chapter, and then I turn those principles toward the case for Jesus. It turns out that, that people will say, well, yeah, I was actually as interested in the case as I was in the Jesus stuff. I get it. We're all fascinated by detective mysteries, and we're just trying to leverage that fascination to help young people make the case for Jesus. Yes, and I'd like to add that I think parents that have even younger kids, five or six-year-olds, they can take these books and work with their kids together through the book. That's why our Raising Christian Kids, our podcast, and all I do in the book I'm writing right now, it's about preparing that soil from the womb to about three. Yeah. And then you prepare that soil, and there's many ways you can do that. And then from four to about seven is when you're planting those seeds, hopefully into rich, deep soil that grow deep roots that can last, you know, the child's lifetime. It's those, you know, if you look at Jeremiah and Timothy and Samuel, and they're all from the womb, David, you know, you even taught me in that secret place, you desired faithfulness, even in the womb in Psalms. So Starting really early is so important, but there's another question I had. In your book, you stated that it's common objection of atheists that there is no real evidence for God or Jesus. So yeah. this, is, this is the premise, right? Yeah, and you see this a lot. Of course, it's, a, it's about a misunderstanding of what it is that counts as evidence. Now, now look, when you say that there's no real evidence, the, the adjective is real. The, there's no real evidence. Well, that's not a category. That's not an adjective we apply to evidence in criminal trials. There's only two forms of evidence, direct evidence and indirect evidence. There is no hard evidence, real evidence. These don't, these don't exist in, in the criminal trial system, but it's really about understanding what counts. Look, everything counts. And, and this is what we're, we're saying here too. So I think a lot of it when an atheist says there's no real evidence, well, you don't think the DNA information is evidence of mind? How do you get data, information from physics and chemistry? You can't get it from physics and chemistry. You can only get it from mind, intelligence is the source of all information. If that DNA is informative, it's a code. It needs a coder. Right. That requires a mind. You cannot get code from just physics and chemistry acting on space, time, and matter. You're going to need a mind to make free choices in which the code can later be decoded. Now, this is the problem, is that if you don't think DNA is evidence of, of mind, of a divine mind that transcends your biology... Well, you're not paying attention to what counts as, as information. Well, look, this is why I'm saying that it, this is why everything counts as, yes. as evidence. And so understand what does count and then open up your mind to the possibilities. Yes. And I, I think that's great. Even to simplify that for little kids, you could say it's like having a puzzle. Right. You have a big picture of that puzzle. And now here's the main picture. Here's the main character. But this is why it's so important to help your child to learn how to be a critical thinker. That's right. To think outside the box, to look at everything, like again, that piece of puzzle. If you maybe, maybe you have that character in the middle of the puzzle, but you don't know if that's daytime or nighttime until you fit the rest of the pieces on the top part of that puzzle to find out that it's during the day or whatever yeah, it is. And I'll tell you what's also good about this is just taking advantage of opportunities. So if you were to see that thing on the sidewalk, you could have that conversation. We make cases all the time. Yes. We're not often making cases about the things that matter. Right. And we make judgment calls. That's right. So we have to make sure that we're critical thinkers. 
we have a lot of evidence, we put it all together, and then, you know, we have to teach our children to start doing that young. You know, don't always answer the questions for them. Help them to try to figure out the answer beforehand. Very true. Preparing them to be... (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to share that can help our parents or children under 10? Well, this, I just say start early. Start really early. Don't be afraid of what you think your kids are. And I would assume that your kids are going to ex- be exposed to stuff earlier than you think they are. But it's a really a matter of us making sure that they know what's true first. Well, geez, I thank you. I hope our listeners, the parents, go out and get that person of interest book because it's phenomenal. It's just so full of great information that's applicable today when we're facing people who, again, don't even consider the Bible relevant. And also get the uh, Cold Case Christianity and Forensic for Kids books and start working with your wee little ones even. Read a, you know, a page a day, work out something with them. Let your older children work through them because teaching them how to be critical thinkers and how to find truth is more important because someday they're going to be adults on their own. You won't be there. They have to find the truth on their own. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for everything you've done for the kingdom and you know your wonderful books. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. And this is how we all work together to raise strong Christian kids. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.